Let us join our hearts in prayer. Dear God, as we enter Jerusalem with Jesus today, and as we enter into this holiest of weeks in our faith, we ask for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit so that we might come to a deeper appreciation and awe for all that you have done for us in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. The Passover of 33 AD is fast approaching. And for many days now, great throngs of Jewish pilgrims have been streaming into Jerusalem from around the world, from the four corners of the Mediterranean, swelling the population of Jerusalem from what it usually is, 40,000 people, growing the population all the way to a quarter million. Imagine the city of Lancaster suddenly exploding to the size of Pittsburgh. Pilgrims are camped out everywhere in the city, around the city walls, in the nearby hills, out in nearby villages. They've all come to the Jewish faith's holiest of cities, the city of David, to celebrate one of the central events of their faith, their liberation by God from Pharaoh's house of slavery 1,500 years earlier. And these huge crowds all celebrating this story of national deliverance and liberation and emancipation have the occupying empire Rome, feeling especially jittery. And its leaders are all on edge, and all of its troops spread out across Jerusalem are on high alert. Today, Jerusalem's dazzling temple is packed with pilgrims. Trumpets are blaring Groups are singing together. The air is thick with smoke and burning incense and tens upon tens of thousands of lambs are being prepared for slaughter. Imagine the noise. Imagine this scene in Jerusalem. And in our Gospel reading today, It is into this city that I've just described for you that our Lord Jesus enters in. And what what an entry it is. Today the crowds spread their cloaks before Jesus. You know, the same thing happened 800 years before then when the prophet Elijah, Elisha, anointed Jehu as Israel's new king. 
Today the crowds throw down their branches before Jesus. The same thing happened 200 years earlier when the Jewish rebel Judas Maccabeus entered Jerusalem. So there's lots of historic symbolism happening in this story. And then in verse 9, the crowd shouts, Hosanna, the son of David. You see, a thousand years earlier, King David had made this city the capital. But now, after crushing occupations by Babylon and Greece and then Rome, this whole city is now waiting and praying for God's Messiah finally to come to set them free from the grip of Rome and to reign over their city in peace. The air is so charged with electricity today that everyone manages to miss, it seems, that Jesus comes riding in on a humble donkey. I once heard a sermon by a friend who said, this is like Norman Schwarzkopf riding into Baghdad on a moped. It has that kind of incongruity, not, walk, or not riding in on a stallion of war, but on a humble donkey. And there's a little bit of humor in our story today, not on purpose, but you may have noticed that Matthew, in his effort to show that Jesus is fulfilling all of Scripture, even has Jesus riding in today on both a donkey and a colt at the same time, which is rather difficult. And the other Gospels have Jesus only on a donkey. Now the great irony here, and this story is just layered with irony, is that all of Jerusalem's hopes really are about to be fulfilled. Their Messiah really is making his triumphal entry, and his coronation really is about to take place but not as anyone expects. You see, very soon, Jesus will receive his crown. Made of thorns. He will soon receive his purple robe of mockery. And he will receive the emblem proclaiming his kingship nailed to the top of his cross. In Philippians 2, we hear what is probably one of the earliest hymns of the emerging church after Jesus. It's very likely that Paul took this hymn from worship life and quoted it in his letter to the Philippian church. 
And in this hymn, we hear that it is in Jesus' emptying. The word here in Greek is kenosis. In his emptying, that he is filled by God. It is in becoming a suffering servant that he is raised by God to the highest place in heaven. Jesus reveals to us a secret. That the way down is the way up. This hymn helps us to see the downward, self-giving, self-emptying character of God's love. God comes down to us in Jesus, born in the stable of a forgotten village. Later in his ministry, Jesus reaches down to lepers, to tax collectors, to prostitutes, and to many people who through him experience God's love for them for the very first time. And then in the upper room, Jesus kneels down again to wash his disciples' feet, just as we will be washing one another's feet this Thursday. And in the garden, he kneels down yet again and says to his Abba, not my will, but your will be done. Do you see this downward, downward descent of Jesus? And then finally on the cross, Jesus lays down his life and takes upon himself all the sin and the violence of our world. 1 Peter 3.19 says that Jesus even goes down into hell to show his complete solidarity with us as sinners. What this descending way shows us, dear friends, is that the cross of Jesus is not his sacrifice to an angry God, but rather the ultimate expression of God's own self-giving love. What this means is that because of the cross, you and I never have to anxiously try to set ourselves right with God. It has already been accomplished. We have been reconciled through what Jesus has done for us. And nothing any preacher can tell you can ever explain what really can only be received in our hearts with awe. And I think our life work is not to achieve this reconciliation, which we cannot, but our life work is to receive this and graciously and gratefully live in return, to accept our acceptance by God. And during my recent prayer retreat, I 
I felt God speaking to me yet again and saying, Todd, stop trying to earn this. It's my gift to you. Receive it for free. Now, although Jesus' saving work on the cross is uniquely his work, it does reveal a crucial pattern that we are called to follow as his disciples. As Paul says today, let the same mind be in you, the same consciousness that is in Christ Jesus. We too are called to discover in our own lives that the way down really is the way up. And that all of our emptying and letting go is prelude to God's filling of us. I saw this pattern quite vividly again in my prayer retreat out in Colorado. On our final day, there were 20 of us, and we gathered in a circle to share about our experience of prayer during those 10 days. And people shared how once you get a taste of the sweetness of God's love and grace, all you want to do is empty yourself of whatever else in your life and in your heart is blocking yourself from being filled by more of this love and more of this grace of God. Notice that this is not a random, just a random giving up of everything, as some Christians believe, but rather the focused inner work of letting go of whatever is blocking your communion with God and those around you. Perhaps in your life it is the refusal to forgive. Maybe in your life it is self-hatred that you must let go of. Or racism. Or fear. Or remaining silent about injustice. During Lent, we have been doing something similar in our congregational practice of the daily examen. You'll remember that at the, each, at the end of each day, we've been asking ourselves, where, where in my life today did I feel most connected with God? And where today did I feel least connected with God? What we're trying to do here is to pay attention, to wake up, 
to those places in our lives where we realize we're like the walking dead. Ever felt that way? And what we want to do is notice those other places in our life where we feel fully alive in Christ. And the whole point of this exercise is then to let go of all those habits and compulsions that separate us from God. And friends, in your life here today, what are those things? What is separating you from God and your neighbor? Let go of those things and be free. And then the whole point is to give ourselves more fully to those practices and relationships and endeavors that connect us with God, connect us with God and our neighbor and who we really are ourselves. What are those things in your life, dear friends? Hold on to them and become more fully alive. Friends, Jesus, I believe, discloses to us the great secret of the universe. The ascending way of our world, grasping power and fame and wealth, never lead to newness of life. Only his humble downward way can bring God's new life and transformation to our homes and our families, our neighborhoods, and to our church. Jesus calls us, and I'm going to get ahead of myself just a little bit because we're only here at Palm Sunday. But Jesus calls us not only to follow him to the cross, he does, but he also calls us to follow him outside, out of his tomb, and to experience his resurrection life in our lives. And in every generation, there are those who take seriously his downward way. Will we be among them? Amen.